Welcome to the PHC Corporation of North America. Now with news of interest to life science, biomedical, pharmaceutical, biotechnology, and clinical markets here and around the world. This is Bill White for the PHC Information Network. The PHC Information Network explores challenges, best practices, and applications for lab equipment used in the life science, pharma, biotech, clinical, industrial laboratories around the world. Today we're with product group director Joe Laporte again, and our discussion centers around the concept of mechanically refrigerated cryogenic freezers and the benefits over liquid nitrogen vapor storage. So Joe, welcome back. Thanks, Bill. It's uh, really good to be back. Well, we're having a, a lot of uh, good input from uh, people uh, on this podcast series, and we, it gives us an opportunity to explore so many things and actually get this information from the people that actually know, like yourself. Um, I think it's probably a good idea for us to start with what is the definition of a cryogenic uh, storage condition? good question, Bill. A lot of times when customers think about cryogenic storage, the first thought is toward, well, liquid nitrogen. Um, liquid nitrogen is a cryogenic storage temperature that in its liquid phase, um, and that's important, in its liquid phase is around minus 196 degrees Celsius. Um, but for the definition of cryogenic refrigeration, we're talking about temperatures below minus 130. Uh, which is the crystallization point of water. And that is when cell activity or uh, the products that are being stored inside the freezers where cell activity is for all intents and purposes, for lack of a better term, they're frozen. So what we consider uh, infinite storage life for tissue samples or blood or anything that's stored within inside these types of freezers, we consider that to be infinite storage at that point when, when we're able to maintain temperatures below minus 130 degrees Celsius. And when we first developed the mechanically refrigerated cryogenic freezer, we learned a lot about the uh, cell biology and the enzymes that move around and do what they do within the cellular structure. And once that uh, recrystallization point of water is reached, uh, there's no pathway for them to move around and the, uh, the, the cells are uh, established as uh, indefinitely preserved. Yes, uh, a much better explanation, Bill, yes. Okay, well, Joe, getting to that point and below and maintaining it has historically been uh, in the purview of uh, liquid nitrogen. Let's talk about those two approaches uh, with liquid nitrogen. And But before that, let's start with the difference between a standard ultra-low freezer, which is in use uh, everywhere, and the cryogenic series of freezers. What's the big difference? Uh, the big difference, uh, Bill, is, of course, the temperature range. For a standard ultra-low freezer, uh, we're dealing typically these days with temperatures uh, at either minus 70 degrees or minus 80 degrees Celsius. Uh, for a very long-term storage of tissue samples. Uh, when we move into the cryogenic realm, where, as we mentioned, uh, that's where the crystallization point of water is and we get infinite storage time, that's where extremely critical samples uh, are stored at. So uh, many people consider, uh, as you mentioned, liquid nitrogen to be uh, where customers are targeting for cryogenic storage. 
Okay, and, and we're dealing with two irrefutable laws of physics. One is at minus 196 uh, C, the, uh, the liquid, uh, the point of liquid nitrogen. Um, that is a, that's a fundamental law. Another one is this minus 129, 130 uh, recrystallization of point of, of water. Between those two points, is an area that is typically defined as the vapor phase uh, for LN2, and that's then where we are positioning this cryogenic freezer in what we call the air phase at minus 150. Let's talk about the methods of cryogenic refrigeration and how quickly, just how a, an LN2 liquid system works and how a vapor system works and what those uh, what those systems uh, do that um, that that we can improve upon with the air phase. Yeah, that, that's a, a good point, Bill. Now, going back a little bit in history with uh, liquid nitrogen storage, and, and that's what a lot of people consider that when you look at those systems, they're called LN2 systems. And in the past, uh, tissue samples were stored in the actual liquid phase of liquid nitrogen to get the optimum temperature range. But it was found through many studies that cross-contamination could occur in the liquid phase uh, as uh, contaminants or cross-contamination moves through the, the liquid nitrogen from one sample to another. And part of the reason for that is, is when you put a vial inside a liquid nitrogen, um, it's going to create a bit of a vacuum because of the extreme temperature range or difference, and that vacuum could suck the, the liquid nitrogen into the sample itself. So cross-contamination is a big risk. So as the uh, market evolved, um, vapor phase became uh, the preferred method of storing with liquid nitrogen. So in a vapor phase situation, um, you would have liquid nitrogen in an outer shell or in the bottom of a liquid nitrogen vacuum doer, and uh, it would maintain um, uh, cryogenic temperatures. Unfortunately, there's some laws of physics um, that get involved with that, and, and you can get some stratification within that, that scenario. So um, one of the constraints is, uh, considering the extreme temperature range, one of the constraints is the, the lid or the, uh, the contact points at the top where uh, in liquid nitrogen systems where the samples are inserted. So if you look at a typical liquid nitrogen system, there's a very small access opening uh, for where racks or samples are put into the liquid nitrogen or the uh, vapor phase liquid nitrogen doers, mainly because of that constraint. We, they're trying to, in those designs, um, eliminate as much as possible the amount of heat that's being added to the doer, but in effect what that creates, that heat source creates is some stratification. So we're no longer storing at minus 196 like we would in liquid phase when you're talking about liquid nitrogen. The, uh, the temperature differences between the top of some of those systems and the bottom uh, because of the stratification can potentially bring the temperatures in the top of those systems where product could be stored above that uh, magic minus 130 number for the crystallization point. So when we're looking at alternatives, air phase within a mechanical cryogenic system um, eliminate some of those issues simply because we are constantly removing heat from the top section through mechanical means. So we're transferring energy from the top of the uh, of the units 
uh, that use mechanical refrigeration. So that gives us the opportunity to keep very tight uniformity and ensure that our temperatures stay below that mi magic minus 130 point. So in our applications with our cryogenic freezer, uh, we're able to leverage the heat removal technology in our freezer so that we maintain a very tight uniformity of plus and minus five degrees around minus 150. So we're able to, through this technology, to be able to maintain temperatures well below that minus 130 point to maintain uh, product integrity um, through a different method than uh, the passive uh, approach that uh, vapor phase liquid nitrogen uses. Right, and it also, the benefit also is that no matter where, at in, or at what level in the uh, chest cabinet uh, that the sample might be placed, it is still going to be relatively the same temperature as everywhere else. So you've got a lot of reproducibility benefits here as well. Joe, we should probably clarify the fact that we're talking about a chest freezer here yes. uh, that also mm -hmm. uses conventional uh, inventory racks that can be found in ultra-low temperature world or the inventory boxes, things like that. But the idea of the air phase also gives us a, a good deal of cushion in the event of a power failure, which brings us to the prudent idea that uh, we still need that liquid nitrogen vapor for a backup, but we just don't need much of it. That's one of the benefits. Let's talk about that. Over the years, we've seen, unfortunately, some catastrophic events related to uh, liquid nitrogen storage systems. And, and one of the main reasons is that once you lose that source of liquid nitrogen, either through mechanical failure or through the liquid nitrogen supply being empty, keeping in mind that liquid nitrogen does bleed off over time, it's, it's not something that you can contain. So it has to be allowed to bleed off because of its high pressure in its vapor phase. If you lose that supply, it's like uh, any other system that relies on a single source of, of heat removal is that you could have a potential warm-up. So all of these systems, considering their value, have alarm systems, but Murphy's Law comes into effect more often than we would like to see, obviously. And if those alarms are ignored or there's a problem with the system or human error comes into play, uh, the potential to lose all the product uh, within a, a liquid nitrogen system uh, is much more um, of a possibility than it is for mechanical. And the reason mm -hmm. being is that we not only have the mechanical, reliable mechanical system that maintains those ultra-low temperatures, but in the event of a power failure or a situation where there is a, uh, a mechanical issue or something else comes into play with where heat is introduced, we have the ability to use liquid nitrogen as a backup. So it gives that redundancy that you just don't get with a vapor phase LN2 system. So we're not totally dependent on LN2. We're using it as a backup. And, and, and because we know that it, it evaporates at about 3% per day, whether you, you use it or not, the economies are inherent uh, with the medium itself. And that's one of the many advantages with a mechanical system is that for all intents and purposes, due to the reliability of our systems, um, once you plug it in, you don't have to worry about constant transfer of LN2, constant supplies, um, having to move it from outdoor, or outdoor facilities into another storage container and from the storage container to the LN2 system. So overall, the amount of work that's needed to maintain the systems is far less with a mechanical system than it is with the vapor phase LN2. Or with Joe Laporte, 
We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Information Network of PHC Corporation of North America. Okay, Joe, we're back and uh, talking about the mechanically refrigerated cryogenic storage system. And let's move over to the economic equation as far as the benefits versus LN2, starting with the, uh, the, the concept of GMP compliance. Very often with GMP, uh, our customers, that's a good manufacturing practice. So to be technical, it's actually called CGMP, Changing Good Manufacturing Practice. Um, and, and that's predominant in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry where um, they have to maintain storage temperatures at a particular temperature based on their standard operating procedures. So uh, within our system, because we, we are able to maintain and prove that the, through testing that we have very tight uniformity within the chamber, it gives us the advantage of showing that we typically have a better uniformity spec than the vapor phase LN2 storage. Secondly, um, obviously, uh, when you're storing samples, you do from time to time need to access those samples. And with our system, as you mentioned earlier, because it is a chest freezer, once you open the lid of that freezer, you have access to all the inventory racks and all the samples. You can pull out a sample very quickly uh, and be able to put it back into its, its long-term storage location. And, and the reason we use a chest freezer is that there are some very interesting things that happen with the thermal layers at that temperature. When you raise the lid of the freezer, the temperature extreme between minus the minus 150 storage and the ambient room temperature does not allow the, the heat to enter the freezer. Uh, we've done some interesting experiments at trade shows with that where we've actually left the lid of the freezer open and, and it's been able to maintain uh, temperatures below well below minus 134 hours on end and part of the reason is, is that thermal layer that develops between the top of the freezer and what's inside of it so okay so um, once again we're using, yeah the laws of physics are working in our mm -hmm. favor um, the the business of uh, cryogenic storage brings up cost issues with respect to how you do it uh, acquisition cost of the product operating cost maintenance cost Let's talk about the benefits of mechanical over LN2 based. And when we say LN2 based, we mean primary based, where we know we want to use LN2 vapor as a backup, but the cost of ownership is uh, of, of uh, acute importance, especially through throughout facilities where um, you're not always sure who's paying the bills within a right. facility. So talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, we've seen a lot of uh, focus in the industry, like so many parts of uh, cryogenic and ultra-low storage where energy becomes a, a chief concern. And um, now, obviously, um, vapor phase liquid nitrogen from operating the actual system itself um, and the electricity consumed in doing that can be less than from a mechanical system. But what most people don't consider is the cost to produce that liquid nitrogen in the first place. Um, if you look at the fact that an average system that is storing, you know, say, 15,000 vials um, can consume you know, upwards of, through transfer loss and through regular loss, as you mentioned, the 3% of vapor loss that you get per day, um, there's a lot of losses. There's a lot of transfer losses between 
where the LN2 is produced and, and where it's being brought into the system. So um, the, the energy cost is actually quite high from a sustainability point of view um, between um, with a liquid nitrogen vapor phase system. But from a customer's perspective and their cost of ownership and, and, uh, and day in and day out usage, um, when they're not looking at alternatives, they just assume that while well, the amount of work that's needed to maintain a liquid nitrogen system is just the cost of doing business. So if you consider the fact the safety issues with the potential burns from transferring LN2, getting uh, burned from uh, LN2 being splashed on bare skin, um, the damage it can do the facility floors when it splashes on the floors, the loss in transfer, having to transfer from external, having to make sure that the shipments come in, making sure there's a proper supply, and the constant use of the LN2 certainly adds up over time. When you're talking about mechanical systems, to maintain that minus 150 temperature, you plug it into the wall, you're done. You, know, you don't have the extra cost of having to maintain those large supplies. Now, of course, customers uh, very often do keep backups uh, of liquid nitrogen as a contingency, as we've already discussed, but you're not dealing with the amount of handling um, anywhere near as much as you are with a vapor phase LN2 system. We might mention that the best practice is also usually a call for operating the freezer as fully loaded as possible because even if it's with a dummy product like water, um, because it buys so much time in the event of a power failure. Joe, uh, on the subject of GMPs, uh, tell us a little bit more about the extenuating uh, circumstances that have to be attended to in, in that area. Bill, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because we run into this a number of times with customers. In GMPA applications, for those of those familiar with it, they know they have to maintain a very tight cleanliness standard uh, within their facilities, even in their, their storage areas. And a lot of times we'll tell customers, take a look at your floor where you plan to install your either your liquid nitrogen system or your, your uh, mechanical cryogenic storage. A lot of times those floors are just regular concrete floors or they are tile floors even worse um, but uh, almost always those floors over time will not hold up to the rigors created by liquid nitrogen so what i mean by that is that when you take a product in its liquid form that boils at minus 196 degrees when it hits that floor it creates a vast change in temperature in that flooring material uh, with Tiles, they will pull up very quickly because they're not designed to be able to handle those types of temperatures. Um, even regular flooring and even standard clean room flooring, where a lot of customers will store these units, won't hold up to it either, simply because, uh, once again, clean room floors were not designed to take those temperature extremes. And what happens is when that liquid nitrogen hits the materials in the floor, um, the different materials will contract uh, at a very quick rate uh, and some will contract more than others. And over time, sometimes a very brief amount of time, those floors will start to deteriorate very quickly. And what some of our customers have told us is that, while yes, they have found a very special clean room floor that will be able to hold up to those to liquid nitrogen over time, but um, their investment was in the millions of dollars to be able to produce that flooring. So with cryogenic storage, we're not dealing with any liquid phase at all. Uh, with all um, cryogenic storage with using liquid nitrogen, uh, the key term here is liquid nitrogen, it all starts as a liquid, uh, even if you're storing in vapor phase. But with mechanical systems, you're not dealing with any liquid phase. So 
the potential to ruin the floors and uh, break the GMP requirements of cleanliness just isn't there. So many of our customers have found using mechanical storage to be a great advantage, not only for that, but as I mentioned earlier, the safety of their personnel since they're not dealing with the potential for liquid burns. Just to review, we know that anything below minus 129, minus 130, we can consider indefinite in terms of mm -hmm. cell biology. Um, the, then the question is how to do it and what's the most efficient way to do it. We've got three choices, liquid or vapor LN2, or we've got the new mechanically refrigerated, what we call air phase. Uh, Joe, where do we go to find more about this whole business of um, comparing different systems in order to make an intelligent purchase decision? For us, they can go to our website at us-phchd.com and uh, within the, the drop-down list there, you'll see cryogenic storage as an option in there. And, and within that, there's all sorts of tools that we offer to explain how these systems work as well, the, the advantages of using this technology. We've been hearing from Joe Laporte, the product group director of PHC Corporation of North America. Joe, it's great to talk to you as always. You have so much experience with this and uh, can put it in context for those of us who don't know it all that well. Thanks, Bill. Uh, glad I could help, and uh, hopefully this will give uh, people that have always looked at LN2 as their only source, so give them some alternatives that there is a better way of doing this. Thanks, Joe. For more information on air phase cryogenic storage and the benefits of the mechanically refrigerated freezer over standard liquid nitrogen systems, you can download our cryogenic storage bulletin at bit.ly slash phcbi cryo. That's bit.ly slash phcbi cryo. You've been listening to the Information Network of PHC Corporation of North America. News of interest to life science, pharmaceutical, biotechnology, clinical and industrial markets here and around the world.